Let's pray as we begin. Thank you, Lord, uh, for the gift of worship that we can sing about you because we know these things to be true. And thank you, Lord, for preserving the scripture for us in our Bible that we would know in you are the words of life and these are your words. And so as we spend time back in the book of Romans, Lord, we ask you to give us uh, sharp minds to uh, think through what we're listening to, but also that you would these things would resonate through our spirits and our souls as well. In your name, Jesus, we pray and ask. Amen. Amen. Okay. Hebrews 4.16. Wonderful quote. Uh, the writer of the book is encouraging us to draw near to the throne of grace of God with confidence. You know, one of the many things I love about Jesus, and, and there are many, is that we can now come directly to our Father in heaven without fear, in full confidence. There's, there's no need for someone to go for me. I can talk directly to God. Do you share my confidence? It's yours through Jesus. And if you are in Christ, Hebrews says, you can boldly approach the throne of grace. But it but it wasn't always that way. Before Christ, someone, usually a priest, had to go on our behalf. Near the beginning, when God chose Israel as his people, the go-between was Moses. The people did not always do what God commanded. And because of their persistent disobedience, the generation that left Egypt under Moses perished in the wilderness. God would not allow them to enter the land of promise. And yet, God did not abandon his people. He allowed the next generation to enter, even though the ones who left Egypt would not enter. And as they were within sight of their new home, Moses called the nation together to instruct them. These were people that had not heard these words the first time. He gave them the Ten Words of God, the Ten, ten Commandments from Deuteronomy 5.22. And, and it says that he added nothing more. And this was the first time for these people. But, but the first time he gave these words was to their parents. And the problem is they broke most of these commands almost right away. Moses came down from the mountain and he found the people engaging in gross idolatry. Now, as this next generation stood waiting, Moses told them, he said, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. These were the very words of God to his people. God is a good God. No, I'll say that again. God is a great God. 
a holy, completely other than us, God, who is worthy of all our praise and allegiance. For Israel, observance of the law was the key to their long life, and it showed that they feared the Lord. Well, fast forward a little, the first century AD. The people Paul is speaking to in Rome, Romans, are familiar with this law. Many of them are Jewish believers or their former, former Gentile proselytes who are now Christians. They knew the Jewish scriptures. They knew them as God's law given by God to Israel through Moses. But in his letter, Paul has been explaining that no one can be righteous before the Lord through the law. That's what he said in Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And we saw last week in the first part of chapter 7 here that the law aroused this, these sinful passions. It, it, it arouses sinful passions in those who are controlled by the sinful nature. And those passions produce death. And so in order to have life, we have to be released from the law to serve in the new way of the Spirit who dwells in us now that we belong to Jesus. The question that Paul knows they're going to ask is this. If the law fosters and promotes sin, how can it be good? How can God's law have become so negative? How could the law be both good and an instrument of sin and death? If it produces sin and death, is the law the problem? Is the law sin? And Paul answers this with a resounding, certainly not. Certainly not. It was intended to bring life. That's the best of intentions. Well, then what happened? What happened? Sin happened. Sin is the culprit. Sin takes what God intended to bring life and instead produced death. If you will, turn in Romans chapter 7, and we're going to read uh, from the word of the Lord. Uh, chapter 7, the verses you see up on the screen here. Let's read them together. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive, apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, 
and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Is the law sin? Is the law evil? Well, if you look at Romans 5.20 or you look at Romans 7.5, it sounds like it is. It was brought in so that trespass might increase. Sinful passions aroused by it were at work in us, and so we bore fruit for death. But if this was Paul's view, if this is what he's really trying to say, the gospel wouldn't fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. It would replace the Old Testament, not fulfill it. No, Jesus himself in Matthew said the same thing. He said, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. The law and the prophets was shorthand for the entire New Testament, the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, just shorthand. What he's saying is the gospel fulfills the Old Testament. So the gospel is for Jewish people too. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. That bears repeating because I think some people today don't, don't understand that. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God of Israel is Jesus. So how, how did something good from God produce evil? Well, the culprit isn't the law. It's what sin did through the law. The law itself is not sin. Although it's true that the law and sin are kind of related. Well, how are they related? How are they related? Well, here, here's, here's my best understanding. The law makes known to us what it means to sin. And through the law, we come to really understand the extent and the seriousness of sin. And Paul illustrates this with uh, talking about the 10th commandment. He said, I would, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Yeah, interesting. Have you ever wondered why Paul used the 10th commandment as his example? Because coveting is the only one of the commands that penetrates right to the desires of the heart. You can abstain from the others, but the 10th commandment says not to even desire those things. And so the 10th commandment, in a sense, is, is, you could call it the fundamental sin. By desiring what is forbidden, you show that you treasure and you delight in someone or something more than you delight in the one true God. That's his first commandment. You shall have no other gods ahead of me. And that is the definition of idolatry. But the law doesn't produce the coveting. Sin produces it. The law is the catalyst. I think we need an example of a catalyst. So I wanna, I'm, we're going to run a clip here.
hold on a second. Hold on a second. I have no sound. All right. Let's try that one more time. Don't you love live action? You know, I've seen this done a couple of times on a couple of different videos, and I'm not quite sure this is real, and I just want to see what's up. Ooh. Kids, don't try this at home. Well, at least no, don't try it in your own home. <laughs> Question for you. Is the Coca-Cola to blame for the fountain? Is Coca-Cola evil? No. Some of you saying yes, but no. But the Mentos seized the opportunity to produce a huge mess. That's what Paul is getting at. The law stirs up the sin that's present and seizes the opportunity to produce every evil desire. And that, this was the opposite of what the Roman Christians believed about the law of Moses. They had been taught that observing the law curbed sin and reduced its power over human beings. And Paul says, no, it's the very opposite. It amplifies it. And so when Paul said in verse 8 that apart from the law, sin was dead, he wasn't saying that sin didn't exist before the law. He was saying that the law intensified it. Sin was there all along. Before Paul had knowledge of the law, he says, he was alive. And Paul was not saying he was sinless before the law. For we know sin was present in him because he had the same nature we all have, Adam's nature. But before he knew, understood the law, he had no dread of punishment. He had no sense of the consequences. Before I became a Christian, neither did I. I didn't have a strong sense of right and wrong. I knew the big things were wrong, murder, Salt, all those things, but but many things seemed morally neutral to me. Of course, they, they weren't. They weren't neutral at all. They just seemed that way because God, at that point, hadn't shown me how wrong they were. But when through the Holy Spirit I became aware of my own sin, I also became aware that I was dead in my sin. And I also became aware that there were eternal consequences to my behavior. So, Paul says, the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death because sin took its opportunity to deceive him and through the commandment to put him to death. That, that sounds a lot like the language from Genesis chapter 2 when you think about it. And some Bible teachers think that Paul is actually describing the experience of our, the first humans, Adam and Eve, who, who brought, bought into the serpent's lie and disobeyed God, allowing sin to enter the world. 
But Paul is talking here, not about that, but he's talking about the Mosaic law, given, which was given to the people 430 years after Adam. He, and he's speaking in the first person, but he isn't just describing his own experience. He's describing what they all knew from experience. He's describing his own and the experience of all Israel. You know, in our culture, we don't have the strong sense of, of, of corporate identity that the Jewish people had. I think another example is needed here. It's not quite as numerous. This is a modern place setting of, of the Jewish Seder, the Passover meal. When the Jewish people observed the Passover meal, they confessed as part of the, the ceremony, if you will, they confessed that they had been slaves in Egypt and they had been redeemed through God's mighty deeds. Now, they hadn't been there personally, but they identified with their ancestors. And so Paul is speaking in that same way to their experience of trying to obey the law and falling short. The death produced by sin, which seized the opportunity the law gave it, was the experience of all Israel. Time and again, they had lived out this scenario. Time and again, they had promised to follow God and fallen away. Sometimes even on the way home from church. Time and again, they fell away until God said, enough. And God left their presence. God had departed. But God promised through the prophets that one would come who would fulfill the law. One who would reconcile us to the Father by laying down his life on a cross to satisfy God's justice. And in doing so, open up a new living way into God's presence through his blood. Jesus, the Lamb of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. The law does not cause death. Sin gets the blame, because sin used this good thing, the law, for its own wicked purposes. And so Paul concludes, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. We became Christians, Sue and I, while living on Vancouver Island. One, one spring, late spring, as, as a church, we, we knocked on doors in the community to invite people to a special event we were holding. And we took that opportunity to ask them a few questions. One of the questions was whether or not they believed in the concepts of heaven and hell. And, and what, if they did, what in particular they believed about them. One question we asked all of those who claimed to be households of faith was, what in your understanding do you have to do to get to heaven? The most common response was, hmm, be good. 
And, and if that was the answer they gave us, we asked a follow-up question. How good do you have to be? And most people aren't sure. How good do you have to be? Can you even be good without God? Does the pervasive presence of evil in our world not suggest that it's impossible to be good enough? Sooner or later, you're going to covet something. Sooner or later, you're going to do something that is evil. Maybe not serial killer evil, but still evil, still wrong, and you know it. The world is filled with people who are trying to be good and hoping it's enough. And our churches are filled with people, many of whom, having trusted Jesus Christ by faith, are now trying to live by rules, live by law, by being good. That is not biblical Christianity. Virtually all faith systems in the world that believe in a divine power of any sort tell you that you can please or appease their de the deity by your own efforts and that the world will become a better place if we just learn how to get along with each other. That we can fight crime and evil merely by becoming more educated and enlightened in our thinking. As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Many people believe that the solution to evil, to human evil, is found within us. They're wrong. They're dead wrong. Those who believe that the answer to human evil is to teach a set of rules, law, are, are deeply mistaken. Those who believe they can be good by following rules are bound to fail. The best of intentions won't alter our destiny apart from Jesus. Trying harder to follow the rules, laws, won't work either. Well, that's because the law given by God is good, but it is not the answer. It is not the antidote to human evil. And those who have the law but lack the Spirit of God simply cannot keep it and consequently are destined to die and spend an eternity apart from Jesus. And that is called hell. And so what was intended for good was subverted by sin to produce death. <sighs> Maybe you're ready for a, a Tylenol vote right now. This, this feels like it's been a, a, a deep dive on this subject here in these chapters. But that's actually what this series in Romans is about. That's why we called it, why I called it Exploring the Depths of the Riches of God. Because we can't just go wide, we have to go deep. One or two final thoughts on this section. Paul has shown us that the law is good. It isn't evil. It's not sin. But it's good. Now that we understand the goodness of God's law, 
do we not also recognize the utter sinfulness of sin? Sin uses a good thing to kill us. Ugh, seriously. The wickedness of sin cannot be ignored. So was Israel's acceptance of and trying to follow God's law a mistake? No, the law came from God and reveals God's holiness, God's character. We may not be under its direct, author its direct authority, but studying and meditating on his law shows us who our Lord is and what he values. What the law does is it shows us our inability as human beings to obey God. We are always going to fall short of the perfection required by the law. And so the law does three things. It does this. It reveals the power of sin. We've talked about that enough. It also reveals our inability to live a holy life apart from God. And reveals our need for someone to set us free from this miserable condition. And for this, we can only look to Jesus Christ. He alone can release us. We need Jesus. He alone can set us free. Doesn't that make you appreciate the good news of Jesus all the more? Because in him, in him, we are set free to serve him in the new way of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we are, we stand amazed, as one of our hymns says, we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love us. Sinners. Unclean. And we know it's true. We know that you gave your life for us. We know you died on the cross for us and that your sin sacrifice paid our sin debt. And that if we trust you for that and we ask you to come into our life and be our leader, our director, we will be forgiven and we will have you as that, that, that beacon, that light that can guide us. Lord, we, we want to not spend our time on that, the, the negative side of this question. We want to answer that question, and we will get to it in the week, next week. Who will rescue us from this? For now, Lord, we say, all of us who have prayed this prayer, thank you. Lead us. We pray and ask these things, and we give you thanks for giving us greater understanding and wisdom of these important concepts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you want to know a little more about what we've talked about today, and if you've prayed and you want to know what to do, maybe you want to know what to do next. Maybe you're not completely certain and you just need me to go back and say, would you run, run that one past me again? Please, please contact us. Please contact us. Uh, my office email there, I'd be happy to. On our website, you can click the Contact Us button, and we will get in touch with you. We'd be happy to share information with you, help you in any way you can on your spiritual journey. Because, really, it's your spiritual journey, not mine. But 
knowing what I know about Jesus, I want it to be yours too. So thank you for this day. God bless you this week. And uh, we hope to see you again next week.